0: Well, good evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight on this rainy next to last day of the year. I know there's a lot of people out there that are wishing for this year to be over with and they're, oh, it's terrible. We're here. We're healthy. We're able to serve the Lord. He's still blessing. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for even in this last year. Uh, We've had a lot of lemons, had opportunities to make a lot of lemonade, and uh, I'm thankful for this year. It's been good to us. If you reflect and you think about it, all the goodness that God has shown to us, and um, we have a lot to be thankful for. All right, we'll begin. We're here wrapping up the the end of lesson 12. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 we'll read through tonight. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, to be able to be here to look into your word, Lord, you've given us a place to meet that is dry and safe, Lord, a place to uh, come and rejoice around your word, to honor you in song and in deed, Lord, we just pray that you would help us tonight in in this study uh, of Colossians, that you would fill me with your spirit, help uh, the error that I might introduce to be minimized and your word and your glory to be magnified, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen may be seated. So last time, it seems like quite a while ago, um, this lesson has been kind of hip with all the different holidays here, having a Thanksgiving um, special time and a special time for uh, Christmas, which are are, are very much needed. These are things that we shouldn't uh, neglect by any means. Um, Thanksgiving holiday is not just one day, if you think about it. Christians have things to be thankful for every day of the year, every moment of the year. Um, so I don't mind at all. We can, we can take time to do that more often maybe. But last time we were here and we met in the, around the Book of Colossians, we were focused on verse five and there's a lot to be said here in verse five and six, but really I segmented them into covering verse five last time, this time we'll be looking at verse six, but really they're a pair, they go together. Um, their immediate context lends them to be uh, seen that way. So last time, to kind of summarize that, if someone meets a Christian but sees no difference in their life, they could think, why should anybody become a Christian? If you're a Christian and you get persecuted or or bad things said about you, why would you ever do that if if nothing changes in your life? Uh, but the spirit-led and spirit-filled believer will have peace in all things and circumstances that will show forth to the world. So a true believer, someone who is, a, who is a born-again Christian, who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, has had their sins forgiven, will have a changed life. That will be evident and paramount. And through that, through that indwelling Holy Spirit, they'll be able to endure the, the trials that this world lays upon them so this year we can look back and the world around us is so focused on i don't i don't know how to get through this year but i know jesus christ myself and i can trust in him that he's going to work out all things for his good and i can trust in him and and, and at these times when the world is is trying to trust in well how much money is the government going to give me in a stimulus check or how much how much stuff can I get out of this or, or any of these material things and not consider the one who's created us and loves us and that is th- this world is not, our country is not focused on Christ. And that was, that was a bit of what we talked about last time was that our wicked country is focused on very much selfish me- selfish means, selfish things. It's all about me. But I can clearly say tonight, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's do you know him as savior? And if you do, 2020 is not a bad year. You have, this, you have the eternal God, creator of the universe living within you and it's an amazing thing. You should never take light of that. So, but considering this too, is that the spirit-filled believer, spirit-led believer will have peace in all things in the circumstances that are around us. Be aware that unbelievers will dissect our every move, our every behavior. As soon as someone finds out you're a Christian, you let them know you're a Christian, they're going to be picking on you. Well, you didn't do this. Aren't you supposed to do these other things over here? I thought Christians were perfect people. They didn't sin anymore. Well, no, that's not true. Christians are fallible people. They do sin, but they have an advocate with the Father that they can turn away from that sin and, and be cleansed from it. We're thankful for that. But we should not give the world around us any reason to doubt our salvation by, f- by our following the wisdom of the world. If we're seeking after things of this world, car- being car- a carnal-minded Christian, um, that's not a good testimony to this world. If we're focused on how much of the stimulus check we're going to get and saying, well, how's this going to meet my wants? And truly they would be wants at that, time, that point. Uh, That's a bad testimony to the world around us. So the transparency that I was going to point to up here that is clearly a little dark at the moment um, is, is, is going to cover question 14 in your books. So question 14 reads, what will a believer who is redeeming the time do to get the most out of the opportunities they have to witness every day? What is this person going to do? Was redeeming the time to get the most out of the the opportunities they have to witness every day. Well, in addition to type text here, which is not displayed, there would be a few, right? If you want to have opportunities to witness to somebody, you need to be around people that need to be witnessed to. Now, that doesn't mean go into the world and and, uh, immerse yourself in the culture of the world, but maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at the grocery store. Maybe it's a little bit difficult right now to get out and to find people to talk to that are lost. Um, but we should not neglect that. I'm still looking and thinking of ways that, that we could do that. Um, praying about a few ideas there. But, um, you know, make plans to spend time with the lost, to seek them out. Practice and share your testimonies of whatever they may be. They could be your testimony of salvation, testimony of how God has delivered you and provided for you in this year has done wonderful, miraculous things for you. Practice these testimonies. Know them by heart because they are personal to you. They can make that connection with the other person. right? This is something that you have. Your own personal testimony of how you were saved is yours. That's personal and heart and, and comes straight from your heart. That's what... A lost person will want to hear. How is this real for me? How can this be real for me if it's not real for you? If this is just a rubber salvation, something that is um, not real and not genuine, why should I, as the unbeliever, do this? Uh, I think people who are born again who know Jesus Christ as Savior will have a testimony like that to share. And the best witnessing tool is tell them how you have got saved. I mean, even if you don't know the whatever system of trying to lead somebody to Christ, there is no system to lead somebody to Christ. It is Jesus Christ and his word. Myriad of pas- passages throughout the entire Bible that you can use to lead somebody to Christ. It's not just Romans Road. There's many in there that you can use. Your personal testimony being first and foremost. If you got one verse, you got one verse and that you can use to lead somebody to Christ. What else? Develop a plan for witnessing, how you're going to go about that. Pray for opportunities and boldness. I think that should probably, these are in order that were on the slide there, but um, that should be the first thing you do. In all things that you do, you start with prayer. That's not, uh, not to be neglected. Carry Bible with you. I think we're all pretty fortunate enough here to have a smartphone. If you don't, I envy you. Um, but you can download app, apps for your phone that have a Bible there, you can pull it out. We all pretty much, my Bible is sitting on the table over here in front over here monitoring the service. But I have an app on there, a couple of them have a Bible. You can. Well, let's, let me show you where that is in the Bible. And you can refer to that and as a witnessing tool. Possibly take some evangelism training or just learn from others as you go out and do it together. All right, so Colossians 4, 6. Let's break this down a little bit. Let your speech, the first couple words here that we'll look at. The word translated speech in this verse is the Greek word logos. It's an interesting word, right? The the same word that we find in John 1, 1 and here uh, it's translated capital word in, in John 1.1, which we know through context to be referring to Messiah, and ultimately who the Messiah is, is Jesus Christ. What differs in the two verses is, I mean, one, in one case it's translated capital word, referring to Jesus Christ. The other case it's translated speech. Another place that we'll look, it'll be translated conversation. So how do you know what's what? Well, it's just the context, right? The immediate context. So John 1, Jesus is being presented as eternal deity through the personification of the logos of the word. So we're personifying the word. The logos or speech found in Colossians 4:6 is referring to the person to person communication, whether verbal, so you could say speech being verbal in this case, or by extension, written communication, physical actions and deeds. So in another place, this word would be translated um, conversation and not the same word that's translated conversation, let your conversation be without covetousness in in Hebrews 13.6, but the idea still being that it's it's your outward presentation of yourself, whether it be through words, spoken word, whether it be through written word, whether it be through your actions as somebody sees you going throughout the day, the things you do. All of these things are a testimony to the world around you. We could simply say that this, this here is let your speech be, let the things you say and do, the things you do, the things that you're about in this world. Let your conversation of Hebrews 13.5, sorry, 13.5, conveys a similar idea of things you say and do and extends them also to include your character and reputation, I would, I would put forth. Next part, let your speech be always, and this is an interesting part here. I can remember many years ago now, Brother Nick teaching on all the difference between all way and always. And to be honest, I'll present a few things here. I'm still confused. So I'll be honest with you there, but I have a couple of references here and maybe others can enlighten us in, in future lessons here, of the difference between all way and always. Um, the interesting thing here, the word all way, and I'm not sure if I'm jumping ahead too much, is translated several different ways or the, the Greek word behind this particular instance here in Colossians 4.6 is treated, uh, is where it's used elsewhere in scripture is translated always, always. So we don't have a definitive rule here. Again, it would be context that you would define this. And I believe another, um, uh, I think every is the other way it was translated. There might be a few other, uh, ways it is translated, but there's a website called av1611.com on a particular forum thread a man had written down there that the word always means at every time and on every occasion with the S means every time on every occasion, whereas the word always without the S means all the time and perpetually. Now I've seen in different dictionaries they swap them so I'm not sure which way to go on that. Maybe others can enlighten us in the future. And he gives references to Matthew 28.20 and John 12.8 uh, where these are are used. And um, there he says, um, of course, uh, in, in Matthew 28.20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Yet he also said, Christ speaking, but me ye have not always in John chapter 12. Now this is not a contradiction since John is describing Jesus' personal physical presence even though Jesus is not quote always on earth by his own physical person yet he is always with his people on earth for example by the Holy Ghost and the Word. So he's dwelling within us all way, perpetually um, and all the time, but he's not always on earth itself, dwelling with us always physically. So again, you can take that for what it's worth and further study there. I make no definitive statement on it because from what I can tell, the word that we're using here, the Greek 3842, is translated a couple different ways. again, context. So the word translated alway derives from a combination of two Greek words, meaning all and every and the second word meaning when, after, as soon as, while, a few things like that. So you could say, let's consider the meaning of alway to be continually and all the while. So this word Greek 3842 is translated alway in John 7, 6, Philippians 4, 4, our verse here in Colossians 4.6 and 1 Thessalonians 2.16 and 2 Thessalonians 2.13. And uh, if you want those references later, you can come talk to me I'll point them out to you. We won't take the time necessarily to go down through each of these, but um, it's an interesting study. What I focused here was the verse used in Colossians, or the word used in Colossians 4.6, looked at all the references where that word was translated alway and there are uh, a total of five instances of that, so. And the rest of the instances or some of them are translated always, and again, I'm not sure, maybe Pastor or Brother Chris can enlighten us on that a little bit more. So moving on, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace. Let your speech be always or continually or all the while with grace in Webster's 1828 dictionary there are 20 definitions for the noun grace. It's a pretty long list I thought, but they're all very uh, insightful in how they're used and what I like it, at least on the, the Webster's uh, dictionary 1828 dictionary online edition that's available they point out a scripture reference and will reference different verses where this particular definition entry refers to this particular passage of scripture. It's kind of nice to see that. Um, So the seventh definition of grace is spiritual instruction, improvement and edification. And in this verse or in this definition, there's a reference to Ephesians 4.29. And I considered a parallel passage to our verse here in Colossians 4:6. Other uh, commentators have cross-referenced the two verses together. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29: Let no corrupt communication, and here's our word communication, logos, uh, that word being translated communication this time, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And our verse here, Colossians 4:6, let your speech, and this time the word Lagos is translated speech, let your speech be all way with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So here we have these two passages here, roughly saying the same basic thing. One is saying it in a negative sense, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And the other saying, let your speech be all way with grace. So in the context of verse five of Colossians four, it's appropriate to consider the grace of verse six and Ephesians 429 to be spiritual instruction, spiritual improvement and spiritual edification that we're talking about here versus God's uh, mercy and joy toward us are other definitions among many that are out there. So Colossians 4:5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. So we should be well familiar with the Bible and the wisdom contained within, redeeming the time in prayer, redeeming the time in study, and redeeming the time in personal witness of the salvation promised by Jesus Christ. And in doing that, so if you're so wrapped up in that, you're going to be ready for verse six. You're going to be ready to let your speech be all way with grace. Because you know what the Bible says. And you're 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 all prayed up, you're read up, and you're looking for opportunities to go out and minister. And there you because you're prayed up and you're read up, you're studied up, you'll have your speech be all the way with grace. <coughs> Moving on here in verse verse six, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And now there's a few different ways you can go with this and focus on salt being the the, the preservative of uh, hands. I guess you can take uh, the Italians make amazing food. Uh, I'll put that out there, first of all. The, um, and I'm not just talking pizza, like. We draw a line at Rome and we start looking up and then the amazing food really starts to kick in. So I believe it's prosciutto is ham that is cured. It's just ham that's cured mostly in a cave from what I understand at a particular temperature with salt. And all it is is they add salt, they rub it in there. And there are so many um, different things you could look at here. The preservative, preserving nature of salt. Um, but that's not where I wanna go with this particular instance where you would use lots of salt to help preserve something. Here the commentator uh, Albert Barnes writes that this seems to be, the meaning here seems to be that our conversation should be seasoned with grace in a way similar to that in which we employ salt on our food. So you're not gonna get the whole big salt jar and dump it in there and try to preserve your food before it goes inside of you that would be kind of a little much. This does not mean that our conversation is to be always strictly speaking religious. So what, what he's talking about here is we can use the grace, we can use religious terms, we can use our speech that has been salted with the grace of God to speak to others around us. <coughs> now it's, it's um, again, I don't wanna jump ahead here too much. Um, any more than our, so it doesn't mean that our, our conversation is always strictly religious. Like we can't su- talk about anything else other than religion. But we should be looking for opportunities to praise the Lord throughout all of our speech and our daily life. Uh, if something good happens, well praise the Lord. I know Brother Nelson and I were, um, I think last week, he had a couple issues with vehicles. And one was his Land Rover was, parked over on 14th Street in a two-hour parking window that if it was left overnight into the next day would have had a nice little ticket on it. Um, But we were able to come over and uh, take a look at it, found that it was just a loose wire that was going from the ignition coil over to the distributor for the ground. We were able to cut that, splice that up and tie it off nicely and, and this vehicle fired up really nice. And the nice thing was, you know, first words out of our mouth were, praise the Lord, that this worked, that we got this working. So looking for those opportunities when the good things happen uh, to you. And in conversation in passing, if at, at work conversation, great simulation run for me, or a job is done well, and around your coworkers, just take the opportunity to thank the Lord for his goodness to us and what he's doing. As a public testimony. So yeah, take the the. Uh, it's a good idea in conversation to praise and thank the Lord publicly when we should. When we should, when we should. So do that when we have opportunity, and not shy away from those opportunities. Right. It's it's. Uh, don't be ashamed of Christ. He's done a lot. He's done more than you can imagine for you. Uh, we shouldn't be ashamed of him at all them around our, our coworkers, our friends, our family, all the rest. So Barnes concludes here um, that we shouldn't be strictly religious speaking, but allow that, uh, the, the grace of God to permeate our conversation around us, it, that it be sprinkled in, as you would sprinkle in salt on your food. So that our food should not be mere salt right? If all you do, and his analogy here is is if all you do is eat salt, well that's <laughs> no thank you. Um, but that means whatever the be the topic, grace should be diffused through it as the salt in our food should be properly seasoned, used to properly season it all. So have have your vocabulary, your mannerisms, your speech patterns, your praise and thankfulness be directed toward Christ in all, all that you do. It should be infused and in seasoning all that you do. Colossians 4.6 continuing on, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So I take issue with some things that the book says sometimes and here's, a, here's one of those things. The book says that quote, we ought to season our evangelistic words to fit the taste of our audience direct quote. I have a problem with that. So I think we need to be careful with statements like this. What power is in our evangelistic words? Big fat zero. If there are words, we're trying to persuade somebody to believe on Christ or anything. We're trying to argue someone into heaven. There's no power there. It's our our human reasoning that we're trying to employ there. I think this is I don't think they intentionally mean to say this, but that's one way that if you're if you're not careful, I think that you can let your guard down in trying to say, Well, let's make sure that we tailor the words that we don't want to offend somebody when we're when we're presenting the gospel to them. Well we're not going to talk about hell this time. that might offend somebody. Or let's not mention sin. We just wanna mention that Jesus is love. Well, yes, Jesus is love, but you're only telling them half the story. And Jesus is also righteous and holy and and will judge the entire world one day. Um, This shouldn't be left out. But yes, God is love. Jesus loves the world, but he also hates sin and we can't, we can't get around that. Hell is a real place, heaven is a real place, and people right now, today, are going to definitively one or the other based on one simple fact. What have they done with Jesus Christ? Have they, have you trusted Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Trusting in nothing else, not of my own works, not of righteousness which I think I might have, have you trusted in Jesus Christ solely and wholly alone? Or are you hanging on to something else? If you're hanging on to something else, if you're trying to trust that you can make your way into heaven by your own good works, uh, interesting article that I read this, this afternoon, uh, famous actor was said to have by, a, uh, by a, uh, Christian art, well a so-called Christian news article saying that this person is going to heaven, they're saved. And you read through the article critically, just read the words. Nowhere did this person say that they trusted in Jesus Christ for for forgiveness of their sins. There was no mention of Jesus Christ only other than the very last paragraph with the author writing it in there, where they said, see, this proves that so-and-so is saved and going to heaven now what the, what this particular person actually said is that they had gone to aA meetings and a person had confronted them about their non-belief of God, and uh, have you prayed to God or have you tr- do you believe in God at all?" And well this this person said, "No, well, let me try it." And his life changed, and all he said is that he believed in God. Now there's a problem with that. James chapter two tells us that there are others that also believe in God, but they're demonic spirits. They believe that God exists. That's the issue that we're talking here. You can believe that something exists, but not have belief or faith that that person who exists, that Jesus, that God exists, can save you. You, you, can, you can have belief that the person exists, existential, exist, uh, existentially, but not saving faith. So the question is, do you believe, do you have a belief in God or do you believe God when he said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? That there's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. Do you believe that? That's the question. Sadly, I don't believe this man is saved based on his own words and what he said. He has a belief in God, but not a believe he doesn't believe God. There's a big difference. Alright, so the book says we ought to uh, season our evangelistic words to fit the taste of our audience. I got a problem with that. So, the question is what do we need to season or what do we need to alter when we're witnessing to somebody to make it fit their palate? Do we need to soften the message? No, not really. There's ways to present the gospel message to not point out a person's obvious open sin, but discuss sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. The sin of each individual person can be mentioned just as there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For each of us here, when we heard that prior to being saved, we know what that was. We know that today. We don't have to pick on somebody for whatever sin that's obvious and open. That's known to them and that's known to God. So do we really need to season or alter our evangelistic methods or words, no. What I think really needs to be done here is that to realize that there's no power in our words. We're not gonna convince somebody of salvation to be saved. What we need to do instead is to quote scripture and let God's word do its work, right? That's where it's important. I think I've maybe uh, diminished the importance of scripture scripture memorization, in, in saying that I, I know where many verses are on, on my Bible page, I think that's that's great. It's not sufficient. You can do better, Brian, in memorizing scripture. I think we have all choose to hide God's word in our heart. Uh, and that's the best thing to do. So it's best to quote scripture and let the word of God do its work when evangelizing. And 1 P- Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's got to be ready, on, first and foremost, on your lips. Well, how do I get to heaven? You should know immediately how to respond to somebody in that instance. Well, how did you get saved? That Your testimony should be paramount, right on, right on the tip of your tongue, ready to come out. Sometimes we have opportunities to witness to earnestly seeking souls and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. We have those sometimes. You meet somebody who's, who's earnestly seeking the Lord. What do you do to them? What do you do then? You preach Christ and him crucified, right? You, 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 you can show them in the Bible, you can recite Bible verses to them, but it's important that you, you allow God's word to do its work and not to say, well, if you just pray this little prayer, you'll be saved. No, it's important for them to understand who is saving them, what they're being saved from, how to be saved, and knowing for sure that once they are saved that they cannot lose it. So other times we're confronted by scoffers and mockers. Anybody ever had that happen? What do you do then? Well, the Bible has a few things to say about it, right? Let's see what the word of God has to say. Proverbs 26, four, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Now, somebody who is scoffing and mocking is foolish, dare I say, a fool that the Bible would call them, you're a fool if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you, so here the the Bible says, and we'll get to verse five in a minute, answer not a fool according to his folly lest thou also be like unto him. What this is really meaning here is don't descend to the fool's level. Don't dip down into the big pen arguing about semantics of Bible verses and uh, translators this and uh, we can't know that we have the preserved word of God because we don't have original copies of the scriptures. All of these different arguments, uh, are you wearing fibers with wool and linen mixed together? Different criticisms uh, that are leveled. Don't stoop into that. Don't, well, this is what the Bible says. I believe what the Bible says the best answer to give there. If they don't, they don't. And that's between them and God. They'll ultimately have to answer to that again. What's important for us to do is allow God's word to go forth also important to know when to not say anything at all. You can say your piece, well, I trust the Bible that God can preserve his word and it means what it means. Every word that's in this Bible is true and you can leave it at that. There's no need to argue anymore. Verse 5, Proverbs 26, answer. Now we have the opposite command. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Now this is the point where you do answer them but you only say enough to point out the contradiction of their statements. Say no more after that. There's no real reason because you again, you're not going to argue somebody into heaven. The Lord will draw, their heart will be softened and they'll have a decision to make whether they'll trust Jesus Christ as savior or whether they'll continue in their unbelief. So say only enough to the fool to point out his contradiction. Any more would be casting pearls before swine, continuing to try to push the issue. You're not gonna get anywhere with them. Move on to the next person who wants to hear. As always, it's best to answer with scripture. As Christ, uh, when he was being tempted said simply, it is written, quote the scripture and leave it be. All right, so trying to wrap up this passage here now, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Question number 15 in your books. What circumstances in your life or in the lives of unbelievers have opened doors for you to share about the hope that is in you? Anybody have... I mean, these can be general answers, specific answers. My, the general thing for me is when it's open doors during times of great struggle, and during times of great joy as well, to be able to share how the Lord is delivering us through a, a trial or has delivered us through the other side and we now experience the joy and how we, can, how we can point back to Jesus Christ and the Lord God who have, who have done all this. So in closing here, non-Christians observe our walk and listen to our talk. There's a whole world of unbelieving people out there. And if they know you're a Christian, they watch you. They should see integrity and goodness in our walk and hear wholesome and edifying words in our talk. We shouldn't sound or look like the world outside. We're different, right? Each of us that knows Jesus Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit living within us, cleansing us from the inside out. And that as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we get out of his way, allow him to do his work through us, right? We're the ones that hold back and hinder his work. It's on us. I'm too shy to go talk to that person. I don't know what to do here. I might mess up. We're the ones that hold him back. But let's trust in what he can do. Pray. Study. Look for opportunities to witness. And share that hope that's within you. All right. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, for this study. Lord, for your word. Lord, for salvation freely given. Lord, help us to be prayed up and studied up and ready to to serve you and, and spread your message of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Looking for those opportunities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.